He's a very emotional guy, and when he loves something, he'll let it go, and he did. I told her, I was going to live my dream. I was going to go D1. I was going to get out of Richmond. I was going to get out of Oakland. I was going to go to the NFL. I made that promise to her, man, and this is what I do it for. This is who I do it for, man. Welcome to the SC Featured Podcast. I'm Jen Latta. Atlanta Falcons defensive end Takarist McKinley left quite an impression at the 2017 NFL Draft. His passionate display of love and excitement at his selection was one of the most memorable moments of the three days of drafting. McKinley didn't have an easy road to the NFL. Bloods, Crips, and other gangs owned the streets of his youth, where a high school teammate was once shot and killed for wearing the school's red shirt on his walk home. But McKinley had a guiding light to point him in the right direction. As Monday Night Countdown reporter Michelle Beisner-Buck reveals the promise he made and kept to one of the most important people in his life. My grandma, she, she's the reason why I'm here today. Without her, I would not be you know, talking to you right now. She is my rock, and um, I, I'll never let her now. Falcons defensive end Takarist Tack McKinley plays with tenacity. An unwritten obligation to the pledge he made to the woman who saved him from a grim childhood, his grandmother, Myrtle Collins. Tack's cousin Sylvester Wiggins describes. He had his mom in the earlier years of his life, but he didn't know who his dad was. His mother fell on hard times. The street life, drugs. That's where my grandmother, you know, stepped it up and, and she fulfilled that role. After Tack's mother left him when he was just five years old, it was Myrtle who raised and protected him as they lived just north of Oakland in Richmond, California one of the most dangerous and crime-ridden areas in the country. What are some of the things on a daily basis that you had to worry about growing up in Richmond that most people don't have to worry about? Just leaving the house, like, you got to make sure that you look out the window first because you'll never know if somebody's just waiting on you for you to blow your head out. It took me a long time to realize, okay, my grandma, she was telling me to come straight home every day to make sure that I come home safe. Instead of, you know, being out in the streets or getting in trouble. Tack avoided trouble, but what he couldn't avoid were his grandmother's health issues, including multiple strokes. Only 11 years old, Tack became one of her caretakers. It was things I had to do with my grandma that, you know, no child should, should do. Shower, um, bathroom, you know, I was basically a nurse. Once again, tax cousin Sylvester Wiggins. She had started getting real sick, and it was too much for the family to take care of. After a four-year struggle in the summer of 2011, Myrtle's condition worsened. At the hospital, Tack spent some precious moments with his grandmother, making a promise that would bring her peace. I told her, you know, I'm going to go to Richmond, go to Oakland, I'm going to go D1. And I'm going to make something out of myself. She nodded her head, yes. 
And I say a few seconds later, she closed her eyes and passed away. And, um, sorry, sorry. I just knew I was not going to fail my grandma. I just knew it, man. So she closed her eyes, and from there, that's when everything started for me. I wasn't going to let her down. Tax pledge began to take shape. Look at the pressure being applied by the UCLA Bruins, Tack McKinley. He left Richmond and headed south to wear the blue and gold for UCLA, where he earned all Pac-12 honors his senior year. Sacked by Tech! The last part of Tech's vow to his grandmother unfolded on a Philadelphia stage after NFL Commissioner Roger Goodell came to the podium. With the 26th pick in the 2017 NFL Draft, the Atlanta Falcons select Takaris McKinley. It was a picture of my grandma in the center of the table. And, like, I feel like she needed to be a part of this experience as well because she'd been everything to me. Again, tax cousin Sylvester Wiggins. He's a very emotional guy, and when he loves something, he'll, he'll, he'll let it go. And he did. <laughs> Tack walked on stage with the large framed photograph of his grandmother for everyone to see and gave a very passionate interview for the audience. I told her, before she passed away, I was going to live my dream. I was going to go D1. I was going to get out of Richmond. I was going to get out of Oakland. I was going to go to the NFL. I made that promise to her, man. 30 seconds later, she passed away. And this is what I do it for. I know a lot of people thought, like, man, like, what is this guy doing? This guy's crazy. He's yelling. I'm here, man. I completed the promise. That means everything to me. Excuse my language. Man, find me later, man. Find me later, man. This means everything to me. Everything to me, man. I apologize whoever I offended, but uh, at the same time, if I had a chance to do it over again, I'd do it just like that. I love you, Grandma. It's only the beginning. What's the greatest lesson she taught you? Stay humble. It's always just you know, work, work in silence, and everything happen. Sacked, and that's McKinley. Tack McKinley's first career sack. I know she'd be proud of me. And she'll probably tell me this is just this is just the beginning. Like you got a long way to go and just just keep at it. I'm just trying to be better, be a great football player, and just make my family proud. Still to come, we'll have more of Michelle Beisner Buck's conversation with Atlanta Falcons defensive end Takarist McKinley about his grandmother's influence to overcome the obstacles standing before him all his life. But first, a special thank you to all of you listening to this SC Featured Podcast. And a quick reminder to those of you listening in Apple Podcasts, subscribe and send us your feedback. For ESPN app listeners, add us to your favorites and alerts will be sent right to your phone when a new podcast is available. I shouldn't be here talking to you right now in this interview. The stuff that I've been through. I had a great supporting cast. I just, you know, always just told me just do the right thing. You don't want to end up six feet underground. You're listening to the SC Featured Podcast. I'm your host, Jen Latta. 
Falcons rookie defensive end Takarist McKinley made an indelible impression at the 2017 NFL Draft with an impassioned speech about his grandmother, to whom he promised he wouldn't let down before she passed away in 2011. We now have more of his conversation with Monday Night Countdown reporter Michelle Beisner-Buck as McKinley explains how he was able to conquer the hardships he faced his entire life with the guidance of his grandmother. Let's talk about your first recorded sack in the NFL. Walk me through that play. Tell me what you saw. I believe it was in a goal line. It was against Detroit, the Lions. I think Adrian Claiborne, I needed a break, like a rest. He's our starting right hand. So the coaches that sent me out there, I'm like, all right, man, let's, let's get it. Tech, like, got to make a play. Um, just came off the edge, no speed rush. Um, got held, but I just kept going and got, um, got Matthew Stafford in. You know, the first thing I did was just, you know, just looked up to the sky, pointed to my grandma. And, uh, I know she was watching as well, but that, that cycle was for her. And that's something I always remember and I'll never forget. How often do you feel her presence with you? All the time. Uh, I mean, for every game, uh, I just look at a picture of her on my phone. I just be by myself and just look at her, uh, just have you know, little conversations. You know, might get a little emotional. Most of the time I do get emotional. And after that, it's, uh, it's game time. But that's your private time that you get to have with her. Mm-hmm. You know, I think it's interesting because I, I feel the same way with someone very close to me that passed. I can feel their presence. You can feel it. And you get little signs all the time. At least I do with this person. Do you get any signs that she's there with you? I'm not going to say any signs. Uh-huh. But I just know, like, I need to be smart because she's always watching me. And I said that was the biggest reason why I probably never got in trouble back at home. Growing up where I came from, because I just realized, like, I don't want to let my grandma down, no matter what I'm doing. And uh, it just makes you a better person. She raised me a certain way to do the right things and not the wrong things. And now that she's gone, she can't really say that stuff to me no more. But I know that she's still in my heart and she's still watching me. So I said, that's the biggest reason why I stayed out of trouble so much. Yeah, let's, I mean, in all the reading that I did, it's just it paints such a grim picture, right, of where you grew up. I just want to hear from you what it was like growing up on the outskirts of Oakland and Richmond. <laughs> uh, just growing up as a kid, like, all you see is just, you know, all you hear is, you know, helicopters, cops, gunshots, gangs, graffiti, stuff like that. And you automatically just assume, like, dang, that's kind of cool. I mean, I ain't gonna lie to you as a kid. I'm like, man, that's kind of cool. I want to, you know, sit on the corner and you know, white T-shirts, be with my friends and just not go to school, et cetera, et cetera, and do bad things. Like, as a kid, like, doing bad things, you get away with it, it's kind of fun. I just always like, man, I got away with that. Like, we good. But, um, you know, eventually, like, growing up, you start to see, like, friends either, you know, just missing, um, either going to jail or losing their lives. And for me, it was like, all right, I just lost my close friend again. It just, it just changed your life. Like, do I really want to end up that way or do I want to make something out of myself? So me just seeing, you know, close people in my life, you know, just disappearing out of my life forever really changed the path I chose. That is crazy. I, I mean, I, I cannot imagine growing up with that daily occurrence of gunshots and helicopters. And what was the moment that you said, this is not the path I want to go down? Well, I say my senior year, going into my senior year, one of my close teammates, mm-hmm. um, he had, he had, he had got killed and he wasn't in no gangs, wasn't in nothing. He just happened to be, you know, across the street from this house at his friends, just wearing a red, um, high school shirt, like our red high school shirt. 
and where I come from, they got Crips and Bloods and stuff like that. And, you know, him and his friend got into a little argument about his shirt, which is a school shirt. Um, just shot him. That right there, just, just playing for a teammate, like, he did nothing wrong. He just outside playing with his friends, et cetera, et cetera. But just him losing his life right then and there for no reason, just because he had a, you know, a sweatshirt on that was red, that hit me hard. It hit me real hard. Who protected you through all that? Um, I'll probably say my grandma and my auntie. Like I said, growing up in Oakland and Richmond, they just know what time you need to get home to avoid all that stuff or just just come home in general. So like I said, my freshman year and sophomore year in high school, I barely played because I had to come straight home. Um, they didn't want to take a chance on me, you know, coming home late from practice or hanging with my friends. They just always said, come straight home. And as a kid, I'm like, man, why can't I play football? Why can't I be with my friends? You know, I'm mad at them. You know, we get into arguments, but at the same time, I didn't realize they was protecting me. Like I said, it took me a long time to realize, okay, she was telling me to come straight home every day to make sure that I come home safe instead of, you know, being out in the streets or, like I said, just getting in trouble. So them two, they um, said they loving my lives, and they made sure that I was protected through everything. Can we do, like, a little word association? Because you have all these people that I read about that – are kind of your guardian angels and have helped you along the way. Mm-hmm. So if I rattle off a name to you, give me a word association, the first word that comes to mind to kind of describe them, and maybe, like, your favorite memory. Is okay. That cool? Mm-hmm. Okay, great. Here we go. So, Peggy Wiggins. Um, sacrifice. And I say that because, like I said, she got about eight kids her own. So, like I said, when I was in Oakland, it was me and my grandma and my um, brothers. You know, we got kicked out. And some family members, they didn't, they just wanted to put us in a, you know, home and just wish us good luck. But my auntie, she decided to let us move in with her when she already had a full house of like 10 kids and a three bedroom. So her making that sacrifice and, you know, changing my life and having me move in with her means a lot. And Sylvester Wiggins? <laughs> Cowboy hat. <laughs> Cowboy. <laughs> he also changed my life as well. Um, that was like the first father I had in my life or a first male figure I had in my life. Um, and like I said, he got his own kids as well, but he's just somebody I could always talk to, um, no matter what. Like I said, I could be mad at the world. You know, he know how to calm me down. And like I said, I never had that growing up. I never had a, you know, a male figure I could talk to and just, you know, just make sure I was straight. And like he was the first one to come in my life to do that. And also the cowboy hat, cause at the draft, he, his hat was all kind of, like they was talking about him more than they was talking about me. But, uh, I, the draft was, yeah. I mean, we're going to talk about that because I, let's just talk about it right now. Let's, let's talk about the draft. When the Falcons selected you and you made one of the most incredible entrances into the NFL, walk me through those moments at the draft. Oh, uh, it was pretty rough. They said, you, you expect, you know, going to draft night, it's going to be like one of the best time in your lives. But for me, you just like going through like the just the process in general, like all the um, the teams that you see and stuff like that. They tell you this, they tell you that. Um, we go draft you here, we go draft you there. So when draft night comes, you know you got a few amount of teams that you think like, okay, I might go here, I might go there. But um, I believe the draft started at, like eight o'clock Eastern time. I didn't get picked till, like eleven o'clock, and then you in the room with about twenty, twenty six, twenty seven, twenty eight guys, and then the room started to get down to like four guys, three guys, and like, damn, am I going to get picked? So um, I'm patiently waiting. I'm like, man, like, like, what's going on? Like, did I make a mistake by showing up to the draft? Like, what's going on? 
So um, I'm starting to get upset, and I'm trying to keep my calm, you know, just be cool. But I'm starting to get upset, like, man, agent, what you doing? Do your job. Do do something. Like, what you doing? Well, um, I probably got the best agent in the world. So um, he was like, Tech, everything going to be okay. So I think it was 25th or 26th. Um, just a lot of people just started moving around my table, like, you know, my head coach, Jim Moore from UCLA, he started to make phone calls and came up to me, whispered something in my ear. And I'm like, all right, man, I'm trying to, you know, I'm trying to stay low. You know, like, once they call keep my name, cool. yeah, keep it cool. Once they call my name, then we good. I seen that area code. I believe it was, I don't know what it was, but I just seen it say like Atlanta, Georgia. Um, just start freaking out. It <laughs> started breaking down the tears, answer the call. Um, coach Quinn, you know, he told me, you know, we'd like to be a Falcon. From there, it was just, man. Like, we did it. Like, we made it. You know, I talked to him. I talked to TD. And from there, the first person I hugged was my auntie. Then I hugged my uncle. And then um, on my way there, there was a picture of my grandma in, his, in the center of the table. And, like, man, I didn't need to do that. But at the same time, like, I feel like she needed to be a part of this experience as well because she'd been everything to me. So uh decided just to take her out. That was just that was just one of the best moments of my life. Regardless, like who I know, a lot of people thought like, man, like what is this guy doing? This guy's crazy. He's yelling, and then a lot of people was, oh my god, I love his story, et cetera, et cetera. Um, whatever it was, I did it for me. I did it for my family. I did it for my grandma, and that's the only opinions that I care about. We have to kind of go back to this this place and point in 2011. Tell me what was happening in 2011 around your grandmother's health. Well, she was in and out of the, of the hospital a lot of times. Um, like I said, my grandma, she used to work in a nursing home. So she never really wanted to, you know, when she got older, she never really wanted to be in there because she, she seen what, how they treat the patients. Like, it's, it's not good at all. So um, it was me and my auntie, you know, just taking care of my grandma when she was sick. And like I said, it was things I had to do with my grandma that, you know, no child should should do. But it was for me just making sacrifices. I knew my grandma didn't want to go to no home or or the hospital, so I just took no responsibility of that. You know, I was basically a nurse. So, uh, you know, around 2011, um, I was at home doing my homework, finally, for once. And, um, <laughs> my cousin Sylvester, he had came in. I was like, we got to go to the hospital. Um, we just got to go now. So uh got to the hospital. Uh, you know, I instantly started breaking down in tears because I knew, like, few seconds or a few minutes like she this is going to be it she's not going to be here so um i walked over to her um and you just you just get that feeling like man this is this is like her heart about to start beating this is about to be it so i went over to her and i told her um no i'm gonna go to richmond i'm gonna go to oakland i'm gonna go d1 and i'm gonna make something out of myself um she nodded her head, yes. And I say a few seconds later, she closed her eyes and passed away. And um, sorry, sorry. It's the hardest moment of my life, man. And I just knew, I just knew I was not gonna fail my grandma. I just knew it, man. So she closed her eyes, and from there, that's when everything started for me. I knew I had to get my grades right. I had to get football right. 
had to change as a man, as a different, as a person, as a human, and do it for her. I wasn't gonna let her down. You know, I had a full ride to Cal, University of Cal Berkeley, and uh, things just got harder from there because you know I did all my schoolwork to try to you know become a qualifier. I knew like I didn't have the best SAT scores, best ACT scores, so. My GPA was already low, so I had to, you know, increase my GPA for the scores to match. So I did whatever I can do to, uh, you know, be a qualifier. Turned out I was a non-qualifier. So then from that point, I'm like, damn, uh, let my grandma down. Like, I did all this, I did all that, I said all this, I said all that, and I let her down. So uh, from there, I'm like, man, I don't know what to do next. Like, I don't want to play football no more. I just want to get a job at McDonald's, Taco Bell, Jack in the Box, et cetera, but... I actually tried that, but then once I didn't get the call back, I'm like, damn, what am I doing with my life? Like, grandma, she wouldn't want this for me. So I decided to, you know, take the JUCO route, community college, Contra Costa College in the Bay Area. Did a year there, had a 3.7 GPA, made the dean's list, you know, having like 35 or 40 offers um, as a freshman. And then my sophomore year, just a whole bunch of stuff happened with the NCAA and um, my high school and just some stuff that got messed up on my record. Um, turned out I was a qualifier the whole time. So uh, <laughs> I was pretty upset about, about that? that. I was pretty <laughs> upset about that. But um, like I said, once I thought I was a qualifier, you know, I decided to commit to UCLA. And like I said, that was probably the best thing that ever happened to me. My journey in general, I just feel like everything happens for a reason. Like, like would I be here talking to you right now if I would have became a qualifier or if I would have went to Cal or if I would have just been in that area at home still? Like, I probably wouldn't be talking to you right now, so... For me, um, just a blessing, you know, everything I went through and everything I just just made it. What do you think your grandma would be saying to you right now? Stop Sitting crying. here. Stop crying. <laughs> you would cry, baby. <laughs> Stop crying. Like, come on. But um, like I said, I know she'd be proud of me. Like, she'll probably tell me this is, just, this is just the beginning. Like, you got a long way to go and just, just keep at it. What's the greatest lesson she taught you? Um, stay humble. Don't get too big-headed. Just always just work in silence. I mean, just you ain't got to do all this. You ain't got to do all that. Just just work and everything will happen. Work in silence. I love that. A couple other names, okay? I want to go back to this game because there are a couple of people that were important, these these other guardian angels that mm-hmm. have helped you in your journey. Coach McClure. <sighs> Coach Angus, man. That's a hard one right there. What does he mean to you? He mean everything to me. Like he basically, he basically treated me like his family when I first got to UCLA. Cause he was also recruiting me, um, out of high school. But like at that time, I had made my, like I knew I wanted to go to Cal. But, um, Coach Angus, like, I'm not gonna say he changed or, you know, saved my life, but he did a lot to, you know, get me to be a qualifier. Like it was a lot of teams that just looked at my transcript. Oh, you know, you know, you um, just get do your two years at JUCO. Uh, we'll see you later. We'll talk to you later. But Angus, he um, he did his own little, you know, calculations. Like, man, you like a qualifier to me. Like, I don't know what they talking about, but <laughs> I mean, from what I'm looking at, you like a qualifier. So, you know, he told me that, and I'm like, man, this oh, like I don't know what he's talking about. Like, <laughs> if I was a qualifier, <laughs> I would have been at Cal. So I'm like, man, whatever you talking about. But um, he just stuck with it. I mean, he told me some some steps that I need to do with NCAA and um, my high school to get this stuff fixed. And 
like I said, boom, I was a qualifier. But like I said, Angus um, taught me everything I know today um, as far as technique, as far as get off, as far as pass rush, and as far as just to be a man. Those days that I couldn't go home for Thanksgiving, um, Christmas, but he he would invite me over to his family Christmas and Thanksgiving, and you know that just shows that you know it's not all about football. He's all about family. And finally, last but not least, the most important person in your supporting cast, your grandmother Myrtle Collins. You're trying to get me all emotional again. No, I swear <laughs> I'm not. You're trying to get me all emotional again. Uh, my grandma, she she's the reason why I'm here today. Um, like I said, there's a lot of people you know, that helped out and contribute to what I became today, but my grandma, without her, I would not be you know, talking to you right now. And, um, you know, I, I miss her. I miss her. Like I said, just looking at her and looking at the pictures and stuff that we had in the past and just, just reminiscing, just, like I said, just put me in tears, like, every time, like, but it's good tears. It's not like like angry tears. It's just you know good tears of all the work that I did to get here at this point, you know, and accomplish everything I said I was gonna do for her. My grandma, um, like I said, she is my rock, and um, I, I'll never let her now. Last question: blessed journey, broken road. How do you look at your life? <sighs> That's a tough one. Um, I just say just probably both. I mean. I shouldn't be here talking to you right now in this interview. The stuff that I've been through. I can go on for hours and tell you like real detailed stuff that I've been through, but like I said, I had a, I had a great supporting cast. Um, I just you know, always just told me just do the right thing. Like, you don't want to end up six feet underground or locked behind bars. Like, you got a chance to make something out of your life, man. I really listen. I mean, as a kid, is you know, just you just go out one ear and just right out the other. But like, I really listen to everybody and what they said, and and I made it. But like I said, for me, this is just the beginning. Uh, I'm just trying to be better, be a great football player, and just make my family proud. That's going to do it for this episode of the SC Featured Podcast. Thank you so much to Takaris McKinley and Michelle Beisner-Buck for joining us. To hear more stories like this, follow SC Featured on Apple Podcasts and in the ESPN app. Until next time, thanks for listening. I'm Jen Latta.